think what you'll find is that my back is really sore from carrying the weight of this podcast <laughs> for all three episodes mate yeah well done for all three fucking right <laughs> and welcome back to your weekly dose of Not Another Whiskey podcast. As always, Nicholas Palaki is here, fully road tested as the new co-host in one of the world's leading podcasts. I just made that fact up. Uh, My name is Mitch Beshard and we're going to be leading you through a 30 minutes with the amazing Charlotte Coyle, brand ambassador for Ben Reich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. I'm super excited to talk about this brand because it's constantly in my top fives for single malts when it comes to scotch and and, and a brand that I kind of recently I suppose I found it or re-engaged with it let's say over lockdown uh, so I've been a huge fan for a while so really excited to chat about this today Nicholas you a fan? Uh, I am I'm a huge fan of this whiskey I was lucky enough believe it or not uh, one of the best whiskey trips I think I've ever had uh, back in Scotland when I was, when I moved out of the States, I went with Sam Simmons um, and we went to visit the floor maltings at Ben Reich. Obviously, nice. Billy Walker is a Dumbarton boy like myself, so I had an affinity already to coming on site and seeing it, but to have a, you know, working on Balvenie and then going to see another floor maltings and, and see the processes there was, was incredible. But the hospitality that we received was amazing. And I have been, a, it, it was a, like a baptism of fire for me. When I came back, I remember drinking Ben Reich's 16 year old uh, Sauterne cask and just thinking it was, and oh. still is one of the best whiskeys I've ever had in my life. So, Charlotte, delighted to have you on as a guest to tell us everything about your amazing whiskey that you're custodian of. But before we get there, we want to just hear a little bit about yourself and what is what all the things that you do for Ben Reich. And on behalf yeah, of every sure. American, before we get there, can I just say I want to apologize? For the amount of times that you've heard the phrase Ben Riach. <laughs> so I heard Ben Riach quite a lot. I also heard Ben Riach, which mm, is like the, the love there is aggressive for Ben Riach. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, thank you for having me. Um, Long time listener, first time caller. So this is very <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Charlotte. Um, I, if you can't tell by my accent, I'm from Liverpool originally um but i live up in newcastle now so i'm not too far from scotland which is always nice to be as close to scotland as possible um but yeah i've been working for brown foreman for about four years um i originally started on the woodford reserve team so i have kind of background as american whiskey um but before that i was a bartender for probably about eight years so i can make a drink as well as drinking whiskey meat <laughs> which is always good and then I've looked after Ben Riek now for about two years. It'll be two years for me in April. Um, so I look after the whole of the UK. I travel a lot up to Scotland, um, spend a lot of time in London and Birmingham as well. But I also look after Glendronach and Glenglasser as well. So a huge heap of um, kind of historical, amazing distilleries that I get to look after and drink and talk about every day. That's an amazing portfolio of whiskies as well. I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you just get have them pretty much on tap. Um, no, like I said, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, and and you know I've I've uh, I was actually up at the distillery the other day, 
because it's just up the road from me. I think it's about 15 minutes from where I live. Um, so yeah, hanging out there is it's it's always good and bad because I always go there and then I I tend to walk out with about two or three bottles, which so it's always it was good to to, to visit there, but bad for my bank account. Um, but... I was going to say, I bet it is because they've always got something interesting up there as well. That I'm always like, ooh. Do I have that already? No. Oh, okay. yeah. I'll take it. You've twisted yeah, my arm. <laughs> Charlotte, I know it's like when you're a brand ambassador, it's okay because you can put that on your corporate card and get away with it. I don't have that anymore. So that kind of sucks, you know. Um, See, but let's talk. <laughs> I, uh, I love the history of Ben Rieck. Let's chat about that to, to kind of kick this off. I mean, it's such a crazy sort of history. You have the whole Patterson crash coming into it. It closes its door for probably lo- the longest period of time out of any distillery in Scotland, right? Yeah, it's about 65, 66 years. Um, so they shut down. So they Ben Rieck opened in 1898, um, and then they very shortly closed down kind of 1900s with the paths and crashes you mentioned. Um, and then they didn't reopen until 1965. So that was a really huge gap. Um, I wonder if you know the story about the Patterson brothers, which I tell everyone that I know because I think it's hilarious and also a bit sad, um, is that one of their kind of marketing schemes was to buy 400 parrots. Do you know this story? They bought 400 parrots and trained them to say, buy Patterson's whiskey. And that was their whole marketing ploy was just to give that to people and hope that the parrot worked. That's amazing. Getting more sales. <laughs> it's like taking your entire sales and marketing budget to Vegas and putting it all on black and be like, <laughs> we're going to double Literally. our numbers today, boys. <laughs> it's wild. Like 400 as well. Like that is a real commitment to the cause. <laughs> I think I read a statistic um, once with them and uh, they were spending someone ridiculous. Like in today's money, it was about 10 million pounds a month on marketing of whiskey. And obviously that came back and them in the arse because they went bankrupt and i was chatting to, to my wife about this story the other day because she didn't know about the whole patterson crash because she's not a total whiskey geek like me um but you know it's it is kind of crazy that i suppose these distilleries at the time were lured into giving them their stock as well right and saying oh yeah it's no problem we're just we're gonna pay you guys back don't worry about it yeah and it feels like it must have been pretty a manipulative situation in order to get so much from and to have such devastation on the Scotch whiskey industry. Um, it's, it's, if I think about it too long, I could get really angry about it, but I feel like I need to kind of, it's been a long time. I probably need to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> they were the, they were the Bernie Madoffs of the whiskey world, right? And they were just complete <laughs> whiskey Ponzi scheme that was yeah. destined to devastate. And it did like, it was really, like you said, it's, if you think about it for that time, and I'm sure there was plenty of people that were angry and upset about it, but but it, it helped reshape, you know, and lessons learned. No more parrots, yeah. thankfully, in the whiskey business. Yeah, 2023, no more parrots. So we've made it. We've we've definitely improved on the 1900s, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, during that kind of, what, 65, 66-year period, the reason that Ben Rieck was kind of able to stay in shape and theory as a distillery um, was because they floor malted for basically everyone in the area. Um, so Mitch, you'll know as you've been up there a couple of times, and Nick, you will know as well, that we are kind of just over the road from Longmorn, which is owned by Turner Ricard now in their kind of secret Speyside series, um, which is 
really delicious but we are just over a little pig farm um from them so you kind of look at over the picturesque pigs and the long lawn in the background um so we used to um john duff who owned ben Reich, he used to own glen lossie long lawn um and i think he maybe added a couple of others into his kind of repertoire but there was a train that basically went to between those three um, and whatever was floor malted on the Ben Reich site would kind of get past to Longmorn and get past to uh, Glen Lossie. And that's basically how Ben Reich was able to not keep running per se, but kind of keep the momentum up and then eventually reopen. I've Absolutely chatted to those pigs before. So you've chatted you talk- to them. Yeah, so you, you, you talked about the pigs last time I was up there because I don't eat meat anymore. I was, I, I, tend to like if i see farm animals like pigs now i tend to shout at them and go i don't eat you anymore like that's like my thing so i hope they were grateful they were they yeah, they, they looked really grateful they love an ally <laughs> and there's a flip side of that i've doubled the capacity of bacon i'm currently eating so sorry match you make it You'll up make for it up right for... I'm, I'm i'm offsetting it yeah terribly yeah. So, so go, yeah, go well, go and, and going back, let's go back to the, the history quickly. So, it opens up, um, and then it is Billy Walker, as uh, Nicholas mentioned earlier, comes into play, and then you guys take it over. Uh, remind me on what year that was. So, Billy Walker, um, took over in 2004, if I remember correctly, and then, um, Brown Foreman purchased it in 2015. Um, so we had then Rachel Barry come on board in 2016, 2017. Um, and then obviously we rebranded two years ago. So, I mean, there's quite a lot of history there in a really short space of time, a lot of changing hands and, um, you know, all that, all that interesting stuff that happens so often in Scotch, I suppose. I think that's what's really interesting about this distillery is it's a great example of, you know, being mothballed, being brought back to like this kind of, you know, Phoenix from the flames coming back to life under new ownership you know billy walker brought that brought all the brands actually that you, that you represent to to the forefront and really yeah. reminded people they, i think what they did at that time is remind people about how good the whiskey is from those distilleries for sure and i think that's something that um i mean it basically makes my job a lot easier because this kind of dna and the fingerprint of what each of those whiskies are from each distillery um, a, I think that you can, whatever expression you try from wh- whichever of the three distilleries, the DNA of that spirit is all the way through every single one. Um, like I can taste the Bemriac 16 and I can taste the Bemriac 12 and the original 10 and I can still taste that kind of, that blueprint of what's in the uh, new make. And I think yep. it's just, it's such an amazing thing to be able to kind of, work with casks that are obviously going to imprint so much of their um kind of flavors and their aromas into a whiskey but also retain what it is originally if that makes sense i just think it's a it's no mean feat to achieve um so i feel very grateful that billy walker did that kind of all those years ago and we've managed to keep it going with rachel barry's work and the rebrand um which is kind of all Change, they kind of changed all of the expressions so that it was Rachel's expressions yeah. um, and I think that's a really lovely part of the heritage that they've managed to keep alive and on that note when we were looking at you know I was going through some of the back catalogs of whiskies that I've, I've had from, from this facility over the years and, and the, 
almost similar to to what we saw and when we were speaking to Brendan McCann in our last episode about um you know Tobermory and Electric, you know, creating two completely polar opposite flavor profiles under the same roof. Yeah. Ben Reich had that. You know, you had this, you know, very heavily peated run of whiskies, and then this beautiful, sweet, space-side, classic, rich, floral, um, other flavor profile. Is that something now that's just completely, you know, what's the direction you think Rachel's going to take for, for the brand moving forward? It's a really interesting question. Um, I would love to kind of be able to understand the way that her brain works, but she's just on another level to me, unfortunately. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, um, I love that they've brought back malting or started malting season, which is kind of the celebration of our floor maltings. Um, we're in the second edition of that now. So I think that I'm looking forward to see where that goes in the future. Um, and I think for Ben Reik, releasing that kind of classic unpeated whiskey next to a peated whiskey, like very similar to Tobermory, um, I think just seeing which directions they can go in with both of those spirits um, will just be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, they have kind of, and Mitch, hopefully you'll know from your last visit if you got to kind of go into Warehouse 13 or anything, um, they've got some really amazing casks in there at the moment, which are, mm. you know, just waiting to develop. Um, so I think that there'll be a lot more of a range of flavour coming from the distillery in future. And what about stock profile as well? Because when I was there, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if I should tell this story. <laughs> I think we cracked a 44-year-old cask and pulled a Fine. cask sample out of it. Like we, they had one, and it, it wasn't it wasn't like coming like so we want to showcase our oldest barrel. It was randomly mm -hmm. chosen. It was picked, and they're like, let's crack it, let's give it a try. And my my feeling at that time, and we're probably talking 2013, 2000, 2012, 2013 here, it was mm -hmm. probably like these guys have a ton of old stock and it was banging. Like it wasn't, it was that perfect balance of you still had, you know, the, 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 the distillate flavor profile was still kicking through. So I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm so passionate about this because what you've just said was still going <laughs> in this 42 and 43 year old, the wood hadn't, hadn't uh, ran wild. It was beautifully balanced and it could have kept going. Like, you know, we, even for us drinking a 42, 43 year old, whatever it happened to be, we were very aware that it was, it was still, still had legs to run. Yeah, it is amazing. And I think, um, I, I know that I keep saying that I feel very lucky to work for all three distilleries because they really do, I think partly through the spirit that actually comes off the still in the first place, but also the way that the, um, team up there manage the casks, um, I think is a really, really important part of managing to stretch those casks and to stretch the whiskey for as long as they possibly can. Um, I mean, I've definitely been up there and I mean, I'm extremely nosy. So I was like trying to see what the, what kind of old stuff is up there. Um, and there's definitely some stuff that I think we'll see maybe in a couple of years or in, you know, the next 10 years coming from the distillery that we haven't seen before. You know, I think I, I want to get quite, 
sort of serious here and maybe a little bit off topic from from Ben Reik, but the diversity mm-hmm. in the Ben Reik team is something that I've always admired. I mean, you know, obviously you've got yourself, you've got Rachel Barry, who you mentioned earlier on, your master blender. Whenever I go up to the visitor center there, it's predominantly females that are leading that whole experience, which again is great. You know, we're big fans on the show of seeing more females within the Scotch whiskey industry, but I think as two middle-aged white males were maybe a little bit blinded we we like to think that it's got better with females coming into the industry and i, I think that is the case but it'd be interesting just to, to hear your opinion on that and how that's been for you coming into the industry yeah that's a really good question and i um i appreciate you asking it to be honest it's not often that um people actually ask really <laughs> um i think it's really interesting because it's kind of for me, it, there's kind of a couple of folds to it, right? So I have, uh, my job is extremely consumer facing and there are many times where I've been met with consumers with complete disbelief that I'm even the person who ends up standing up at the front of the room. Um, and I've kind of learned my ways to deal with that, which is basically like, give your CV straight away. <laughs> Let them know that you know a lot, <laughs> kind of almost immediately. Um, and then that kind of settles down. And obviously you meet people who are kind of vaguely angry that you're there, um, which is an al- always an interesting situation to be in. And definitely um, something that I would say to someone who is coming into this industry, who is met with that, you kind of have to have um absolute blind arrogant belief in yourself when you're in that situation um, that's something so, mitch knows a lot about just <laughs> i'm right there i'm right it's my if i actually got that, that tattooed on my arm yeah you go through you go through your cv at the start mitch hands out signed headshots just to be clear so i, I don't know what... <laughs> you want me to make this out too <laughs> mitch i'm hoping for one of those when we finally meet in person just so Charlotte, you know. it's, in, it's in the post already don't worry thank god thank you um but yeah and i think another another side to it really is that um there are so many women working in this industry and i think that people are often quite surprised from a consumer point of view or a customer point of view or a whiskey lover's point of view um people are surprised at how many women are actually in the industry i mean i can name kind of couple of master blenders or maybe like four or five master blenders or master distillers or master tasters um kind of straight away and a lot of those people don't seem to get the recognition um and lots of people who i mean we know because we kind of live and breathe this industry we know kind of where women are working and what they're creating um but a lot of consumers don't seem to maybe I don't want to say they don't delve that far into a brand itself, but I think that we definitely need to do a better job about um, shouting about the diversity that actually already exists here. Um, And all of those women are really incredible. I mean, the amount of times that people will come over to me and say, women have much better palates, don't they, scientifically than men? And I'm like, thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and and you and you get to work with one of the leaders in that you know dr rachel barry dr rachel barry give yeah. her the title that she's well earned <laughs> and deserves fully uh you know she is a, a champion of 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 liquid like i think that that's the thing you know it doesn't you know we've had um 
other people on, on, on the podcast in the past who, who've talked about this subject matter. And I think that what's interesting is, you know, to, to focus on this is the thing that we all have in common. We all love whiskey. Like it's easy to pick out what you what you don't have in common, especially that these this day and age, you know. But I think to focus on what we do have in common, which is we all love whiskey, and the women who are championing these brands are making absolute rock star whiskies. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Rachel is incredible. Um, I've been kind of lucky enough to sit at her, sit next to dinner with her a couple of times, and you know, I remember once my food just went completely cold because I was just like. Yeah. just kind so of asking her endless questions really starstruck yeah. um and she's amazing as well she um i know that she does a mentor scheme with our whiskey which is um becky paskin's kind of venture into um making sure that whiskey is kind of equal and um equitable for women and men um and then i know that rachel is also training um kind of her assistant master blender uh kirsten who is also absolutely incredible um and i think we're going to see some big things from her in the future she's if she's learning under rachel barry then i don't even think i need to explain her even further (laughs) that's a great mentor to have for sure um so charlotte i want to move back onto the brand a little bit you kindly sent me this bottle of ben reich 16 nicholas you haven't got your bottle yet they're actually no mine they're they're not going to send you one Come on, <laughs> this I, this is going to be it, isn't it? Just me watching Mitch drink yeah. really, really <laughs> nice whiskeys that people keep sending. I'm all, so like, Mitch- it's not even it's not even like I'm somewhere far afield. I live in I live in the northeast of of the United States. Come well, on. He, weirdly, herein lies our problem because um, Bemerick Sixteen was launched, well, relaunched in the UK in November. Um, and they are just about to launch it in the US. So oh. I tried really hard <laughs> to get you a bottle <laughs> sent. Um, and I tried to pull many strings, but um, and I was kind of just told, let's just see. So I'll, I'll, I'll settle for the same headshot. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll settle for the same headshot. <laughs> here, here's the next best thing, Nicholas. I'm just going to open this up and I'll just pour it and you can watch me do that and, and, and drink it. Lovely. How, how does that sound? Cool. But, I, I got sent this on, I can't remember when it was, it was like last week and, um, you know, I opened this up a couple of nights ago and I was blown away with it. I think, Nicholas, I sent you my taste notes for it. Do you know what it reminds me of? It's a little bit Glenfiddich 15 style and that's not a bad thing yeah. because I, that's one of my, my go-to drams. The difference I get is that you guys have got, you've managed to get this sort of creamy butteriness and there's a lot more nuttiness that comes through on it as well, which I, I find absolutely incredible. What we're, lo- we're looking at, I think 43% with this one, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I really love that they've done that actually. So if you look at kind of the core range at Ben Rick, you have the original 10, which sits at 43%. Uh, you have the smoky 10, the 12 and the smoky 12, which all sit at 46 and then with the 16, they've brought it back down to 43, which I think is a really, really nice touch. Um, I I mean, I, I'm kind of, I just love 43% whiskeys. I don't know what it is about them. I just think super approachable, nice and chilled. Um, and for me, that 16 just really sings at that. Um, I find that kind of, I mean, we were talking about how well Ben Reich does with those kind of longer range statements. 
Um, and for me, when you kind of get to 16, 21, 25 and 30, which are the kind of rest of the core range, when we get to kind of that super premium level, um, when you get to the 16, that kind of comes through for me a little bit more of a spice. Um, it's almost like cinnamon, kind of really heavy cinnamon. Um, it's a little bit drier. So for me, I'm really glad that they brought it from 40. They could have gone for 46, but they brought it to 43 because I think it just balances it out really well. Yeah. Triple cast matured. What's the maturation journey for this whiskey? So um, it's ex-bourbon, uh, virgin oak and ex-sherry cask. So it's so, basically, a, it's very, very similar to the original 10. Um, oh. If you've had the original 10, there is also a trace amount of peat in it, um, which I just love and when that comes through in one of our um in one of the Bemrix. It's like a Rachel Barry kind of for me almost like a Bemrix signature move is to just yeah. add that tiny, tiny little bit of, of peat into it. It's interesting because I didn't get that the other night. I'm getting it today. I'm also getting a lot of honeyed sweetness in there today, which I didn't get yeah. the other night. So for me, like the honey um is really, really quintessentially a Bemrix flavor note for me. For me it's all about mm. kind of um it's there is a really lovely kind of buttery pastry note to all of the them especially in those younger ages like buttery pastry um and then for me when you the 10s and the 12s are kind of all about apples and pears but when you get up to the 16 for me it turns into almost like apricots and peaches but almost like like yeah. apricot jam rather than fresh mm -hmm. nicholas yeah. this is so good Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was going to say, actually, before you even get there, I know exactly what you're talking about because this is the thing. Before, without even tasting it yet, I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying yet because I know there's there's going to be a sample. In the it way. will get to you, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you were owned by an American-based company. Jesus, come on! Uh, but <laughs> I put the call in. I put it in. I did my best. <laughs> always loved, always loved about Benry because the mouthfeel. So that kind of creamy, like what you're saying, that kind of butter pastry, but that, that Mitch, you were talking about kind of creamy mouthfeel and, and that, that to me, that oiliness, that viscosity, it coats the palate. It gives you like a, just a banging amount of flavor and it's, it's a killer, it's a killer product. It is. It's really beautiful. And that kind of touch of peat will, um, I suppose, elevate all of those honey notes. And Mitch, you're right. I meet so many people that, Sometimes we'll be able to pick up the peat, sometimes won't. For me, it really depends on like, I mean, everything, the temperature in the room, the temperature of the whiskey, what glass I'm in, um, you know, what mood I'm in as well, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I think this is so subtle. I mean, what are we, what are we talking, talking parts per million here? It must be very low. So the, the peat that we use across all of the Benriac, uh, anything that has peat in it, is sits about 45 ppm. Um, and it will just depend, obviously, in the ratios that Rachel is adding it in. Obviously, if it's trace, it's going to be much, much lower. Yeah. Um, but because we're using that Highland peat, um, you know, we talk about it in terms of it being a bit more of a sweeter smoke. Um, it's just a little bit more subtle, I think, and it's much more gentle on the palate rather mm -hmm. than something that's kind of this um, kind of big peaty number. They're using it like a seasoning almost, aren't they? Just like salt and pepper over the top rather than this is the driving force of the of the flavor profile. Exactly. Like it's really clever. For me, it's all like salt and pepper, like using bitters in a cocktail. It's just kind of that little sprinkling of all the way through. 
Right, Charlotte, <laughs> let's get into our quick fire question round. You ready for this? I think so. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our 30 minutes here. So we need to do this punchy punchy. Right. If you go okay. into a bar and they had no whiskey behind it, what would you order? Um, I would probably order a gin and soda with lime or a very, very dry white wine. There you go. You can have a dram with one celebrity, dead or alive. <gasps> Who would it be? Oh, God. Excluding myself and Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, dead or alive, dead or alive. Oh my god, that's so difficult. I've got Rihanna on the brain because of the Super Bowl last night, but it wouldn't be her. Yeah, go Chiefs. Whoop. <laughs> For those of you that um, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Field yeah, goal with eight seconds to go get it right round you, Philly. Only joking. Sorry, Philly. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> oh god, that's really that's the hardest question, I think, ever. Um, Rihanna's a good one. I listen. I'm probably going to go Harry Styles. Mm. Sorry, good one. Oh. I'm not. Sorry. Just picked up a load of awards, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're walking down the road, and someone stops you. Uh, they've been to one of your tastings, and they start fangirling you. What do you do? <gasps> Say thank you very much. And in my head, my kind of um, more extravagant persona would probably be like, "Do you want to catch a beer?" But really, I would probably get really really shy and edge away from them <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite ben Rhea whiskey cocktail i really am a highball girl so i would probably say well my favorite highball now that we're kind of coming into spring is probably um oh god probably if i'm going highball i'd go original 10 a tiny tiny bit of peach liqueur and ginger ale or I would do 12, I'm 12 in a boulevardier. Mm, nice. I don't know if you noticed halfway through then I went, ooh, because I remembered the boulevardier existed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that's, hey, that's what you do as an ambassador, right? You're always out and about and drinking loads of different cocktails. So I get it, I get it. Exactly. Um, top moment <laughs> in the job so far? Probably doing a whiskey tasting at the whiskey show last year. Um, that was really, really fun. I had only taken, I think we had six drams and I'd only tasted one of them. Um, and because, I don't know what it is. I really love the challenge of doing a tasting when I have not tasted many of the samples at all. I managed to do that like twice in a week last year and it was tough, but it was really fun. Very cool. We're going to transport you back to a bar in the 1980s. You have two choices <laughs> to pick from the menu. Do you try a pina colada or sex on the beach? Sex on the beach. I'm not into a coconut cream, pineapple situation. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Brilliant. No, I, that, great job on answering those questions. You answered them really well. Um, Charlotte, that brings us to the end of the 30 minutes with. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're super busy. And thank you also for listening to it. So we really appreciate that. And everyone else that's listening in right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again, Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure.